And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection of faith and reason, a somewhat jubilant one. I'm Doug Keck on Mother Angelica Way. She must be happy, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse.com. Of course, that's what drives the program. Check out Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and that's just this week, so you can check those out. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on the EW10 On Demand page and on our YouTube channel. Check that out as well. We recently added, in addition, a new program with John Foppy, Armed with Faith, a powerful, powerful program. Check that out if you never saw it on the network. So many programs are on demand for free, 24-7, through the app, on your phone, any which way you can check us out. And speaking of uh, the man we've got to worry about, Satan customizes his temptations. That's right, he's customizing them just for you. Just like you've got a cross that's perfect, he's got temptations perfect for you. So we got from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available naturally through the EW10 Religious Catalog, EW10RC.com, all things Catholic. And of course, the book of the month for June, Catholic Essentials, a guide to understanding key church teachings by our great friend, Father Wade Menises, who's part of our open line crew on our radio network. And now we turn to Father Spitzer, who will lead us in a prayer in jubilation for what recently happened through the Supreme Court, Father. And you must be thrilled. You bet, Abs. I am thrilled. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this recent Supreme Court decision that helps to bring the light uh, back into the culture of life uh, in this country and our culture. We ask, Lord, that uh, you may now help us to follow through on all that we need to do to build that culture of life on the fine opportunity that you have given us. Please send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, and our whole audience this day so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, and Saints Peter and Paul, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. And of course, talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision. And uh, besides the mm -hmm. fact that uh, it was something that so many uh, people have worked for, I've said, EW10 certainly from the beginning, Mother Angelica was the most pro-life outlet mm -hmm. that you could find anywhere. Certainly when I first mm -hmm. met you, you were involved heavily directly that's in the pro-life right. movement, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's right. Uh, trying to not only start healing the culture, but uh, fighting several initiatives, abortion initiatives and euthanasia, phys physician-assisted mm -hmm. suicide initiatives uh, throughout the country. Right, absolutely. Did you ever think that this day would come? Well, I'm pinching myself because, you know, it's been, there's been so many different uh, times when I thought, gosh, we're just within a hair's breadth and something would go wrong. And then uh, when that uh, decision was prematurely uh, leaked to the press and I thought, oh, 
all we need is to have something happen to one of those Supreme Court justices or something of that nature. And I was just really holding my breath, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, Satan is so involved in this. And you could just hear in the rhetoric that's mm -hmm. coming from the other side, just it's, it's no longer just, you know, anger. It's, it's truly violent kinds of things. Fury. And fury, so, uh, right? fury as, right. yeah, and of course, mm -hmm. summer of rage mm -hmm. says it all. And so uh, I just thought, oh, wow, I hope this is going to finally come to pass. I think the decision written by Samuel Alito is a great decision. It's a broad decision. Um, They're not going to, you know, include other issues beyond abortion in it. Mm -hmm. But it really does allow the states uh, to, to have their say mm -hmm. uh, in uh, determining whether or not uh, they're going to protect the life of the unborn in their state. And that, uh, that right uh, that belongs to the state and the right of that child to live, those two rights have been, uh, you know, uh, kind of neglected in the past. And, uh, and to, you know, the, mm -hmm. the main thought, you know, is that uh, uh, the, the issue right now is being framed in much of the mainstream uh, media, and it's especially mm -hmm. the ways being led by President Biden, uh, is saying that, well, women have lost their rights. Yes, mm -hmm. but remember, all rights must be set into a situation where we're measuring who's getting rights and whose rights are taken away. Mm -hmm. And that's always been the context under which people like right. Francisco Suarez, Hugo Grotius, Thomas Jefferson, right. John Locke, all of the predecessors that talked about inalienable rights or talked about constitutional rights in any systematic fashion always said you have to measure not just who's getting some rights, but whose rights are being taken away in mm -hmm. order to give those rights to somebody else. And clearly, over the last 50 years, or almost 50 years, we've seen that, of course, the, the inalienable right to life of the pre-born child, and of course, an inalienable right situates the very moment that human existence occurs. Mm -hmm. And now we know from a vast majority, a supermajority of PhD biologists, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, mm -hmm. that they believe, right, 68% in uh, the U.S. and 96% internationally of PhD biologists believe that life begins at fertilization. Well, if that's the case, it's very clear in the literature of inalienable rights that once a human being is there, mm -hmm. um, inalienable rights right. exist immediately. And the whole idea, the only time in the history uh, of, of rights where this has been mitigated is in the slavery issue before Roe v. Wade, when all of a sudden, um, you know, the, uh, the courts of our land and the courts of Europe suddenly decided that there was a difference between a human being and a person, mm -hmm. whereby a person uh, would, uh, couldn't be chattel, right, couldn't be right. the property of another human being. I mean, today we look at this and go, right. you got to be kidding. We actually classified a whole group of black uh, and, and African-American 
um, uh, individuals as as chattel, as uh, literally as movable yeah. property. I mean, and, and in order to enslave them and make an exception that the inalienable rights that they have to to life and to liberty do not pertain to them. So I mean, this is right. uh, truly amazing, and we did it again in Roe versus Wade, where we basically said that the preborn infant is no longer an autonomous individual, but truly the chattel, the property right. of the mother, as if that child had no uh, inalienable right uh, to life mm -hmm. or to any future liberty on his own, independently right. of his mother. So, I mean, very, very strange right. logic uh, that, uh, that happened right. over the years. Well, it's interesting, too, because in some ways it, it seems like, as opposed to necessarily taking rights away, they were just saying the right never existed, right? Yeah. There, there was no yeah. right. There was, uh, they were it's acting like there was a right that didn't exist. So all they're saying now yeah. is that right doesn't exist. Now, with that, and, yeah. I, and I, I wanted to pick up on that, seven myths about overturning Roe, Ro, which you hear a lot of okay. that rage out yeah. there. The people, yeah. There's a lot of people who thought when you overturn Roe, that means abortion is now illegal in the United States. That's not true. That's not true. No, actually, it's We wish it was, but it's not true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish it. I right. very much right. wish it were the case. But um, alas, we're dealing with, uh, uh, but, it, you know, next best thing, as they say, is that this uh, is uh, the, uh, whether or not, uh, abortion is going to be legal mm -hmm. is now up to the states. So that's uh, going to be a determination of the people of that state right. where, of course, that right should have belonged and should have mm -hmm. stayed. Uh, you know, the idea of just usurping that uh, by um, uh, the, the, in, in the Roe v. Wade decision uh, and claiming that uh, the mother's liberty right uh, over uh, literally overturned uh, the child's right to life. But notice what they did in Roe v. Wade in order to negate the, the preborn child's right to life. What they said was that there was uncertainty about whether that right existed mm -hmm. uh, because um, there was uncertainty about whether when human life began. So uh, because of the uncertainty, now listen to this logic, we are uncertain about whether or not there's a human being there, therefore we're not sure whether the right to life attaches to it, but nevertheless, in the absence of better information, we're going to sanction the killing of that life all the way through nine months of pregnancy mm -hmm. on the basis of uncertainty. Now, I mean, no, no other part of the law would ever argue this, right? So, so for example, they tend you, to argue you, the reverse, they, wouldn't they? They yeah, tend yeah, to say, exactly. being uncertain, yeah. we can't do anything. We have to let it act like it may, in fact, be. You right, bet, right, and of right. course, if you were in a court of law and there was, a, you went out hunting one day, you heard some rustling in the bushes. You thought to yourself, could be a deer, could be a man. I don't know. I guess I'll just take the risk. Boom, boom, boom. You, you shoot at the bushes, mm -hmm. you kill a man. Uh, you're not going to get away with this. That's going to be negligent homicide, at the very least manslaughter, probably is what you deserve for, of course, not even bothering to make visual contact before you start shooting like an idiot. Mm -hmm. Well, this is exactly what the Supreme Court uh, sanctioned. And, of course, right from the very beginning, the uncertainty argument uh, was just a, a, a ridiculous 
uh, ground upon which uh, to base, uh, to negate the, uh, the uh, rights of the, of the preborn child, the right to life of a preborn child. But the second thing uh, that the Supreme Court did um, on top of that, by the way, they did the same thing in slavery, same kind of mischief. They said, okay, being now that we're not sure uh, about this, um, you know, uh, we're going to go ahead and say that the mother's liberty right also, uh, that's to say her privacy right, which is coming in a liberty right, mm -hmm. and it cancels out the child's right to life. Well, right. that can't be done either any more than a white man's property rights can cancel out a black man's liberty rights because right. there is a hierarchy of rights and the right that is necessary for the very possibility of another right has to be the higher right. If the right to life is necessary for the possibility of the right to liberty, the right to life must be higher. And in the case of slavery, if the right to liberty is necessary for the very possibility of the right to property and the pursuit of happiness, then the right to liberty must be higher. A white man's property rights can't overrule a black man's liberty rights. We've, you know, the hierarchy is, is mm. set in stone. It's objectively determined. It's not just somebody's subjective whim. It's not just wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, there's an objective criterion. So that was the second big craziness. The third craziness of the court, uh, you know, in this, and it was really a bad decision based on bad law, bad logic, and bad science. And the science, of course, we knew. I mean, th the Supreme Court knew way back in 73. They had a pretty good idea that coming down the line, there were going to be scientific advancements that would determine whether or not a new unique human being was present at the moment of conception or fertilization. They had, you know, the, 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 you know, the sequencing, it wasn't there yet. The intrauterine photography was there, but it was not, uh, you know, as precise, et cetera. The, the, the identification of the human zygote and its potential pre and post attachment and so forth. These were kind of questions that were still open at the time, but they knew that this is gonna be resolved with new technologies pretty quickly. And of course, we see down the line, uh, come about 1979, uh, we see all of a sudden, we've got sequencing now, we've got the ability to, to determine that a full human genome is actually present at the moment of the single-celled zygote. So there's no doubt anymore that that full human genome is there. The second thing that we knew is that the human zygote is the only kind of zygote that will support a human genome. Mm -hmm. So you can't put, you know, human genome into some other kind of zygote. It's the human zygote alone that supports the human genome. And that that zygote is going to give rise. It's going to be the origin, the initiator mm -hmm. of every other cell of that human body throughout the course of that human being's existence. So that literally the substance of every cell that's going to be there in that body throughout the course of that existence is coming from that zygote. That zygote is substantially, uh, you know, the whole human being throughout the rest of it, his or her life. And the genome is uh, literally the genome of the human being that's gonna determine all the characteristics, objective physical characteristics of that human being throughout the rest of their lives. Now you look at that, those two things and tell me that the substance of that human being is not 
not um, uh, completely present at the stage of a single-celled zygote. Well, now all the PhD biologists, certainly well, not all of them, right. but 68% in the U.S. and 96% internationally of PhD biologists are saying basically, yeah, a new unique human being exists at the moment of the single-celled zygote. There's right. no distinction to be made. Well, let me ask you. So, let, me, let me ask you because. Uh, yeah. With that point, there's an article recently, a Catholic case for Roe against Dobbs, written by a gentleman. I don't know who it is, but but it kind of picks wow. up a little well, bit of what you say. That must be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. let me read. Because I wanted to jump in because of what you just. He, he says here, the Catholic Church teaches us that life begins at conception, but putting it that way is a poor statement of a complex claim. Life is not what we are discussing. Life describes my front lawn and face mites. We mean human life, really a human person, the image of God. Yes, that's what we mean. That's right. And that's, and that's, and that's exactly what is present at the stage of the single-celled human zygote. Hey, listen, we've got, first of all, you've got the biological case, which is so sound that the supermajority of biologists already say uh, the new unique human and only human being exists mm. at the stage of the single-celled zygote. So we're not talking about a lawn, we're not talking about mice, I mean we're talking about a human genome mm. which is a unique human being right. and none other than a human being. Secondly, if we take uh, you know seriously uh, someone like uh, Sir John Eccles, and we ought to take him seriously. Uh, after all, he, he he did, you know, get, get a Nobel Prize in physiology, but he just happens to believe also in a soul, right? That mm -hmm. that there is a, uh, uh, you know, a, a basically the soul is responsible, transphysical soul is responsible for our identity, and that soul very typically could live beyond uh, bodily death, and mm -hmm. there's nothing that would restrict it from happening. Now, when will the soul uh, be uh, integrated at at uh, you know at, at best at its best? Uh, moment so that it can influence the development of uh, you know the the human being that's coming and the human being can become uh, the human body can be integrated uh, completely with the soul uh, that will of course be um, part of it the mm -hmm. identity uh, of the person uh, that we've talked about near-death experiences and other things on this show. Mm -hmm. So uh, what about that soul? When's the perfect? Well, it's of course conception and fertilization. Uh, you, you know, you, you want the integration to be there from the very beginning. And the case is made uh, very uh, well by uh, Eccles in that book, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Evolution of the Body, Creation of the Self, uh, which uh, he wrote, oh, not by now, but 20 years old, I, I imagine, but it's a very fine uh, case that he makes uh, for that. And of course, the idea of a soul uh, being present, um, you know, right. I, I don't think there can be any question. Now that what we know about physiology today, what we know about biology and embryology today, there's just no way uh, that. Uh, but what you about know, uh, if, Thomas Aquinas? Thomas Aquinas said, uh, you know, we're not sure when it happens, and he had some guesses and yes, quickening and things like that there. Yes. 
Yes, but he didn't really know the physiology of the genome that we know today. He right. did not know the physiology of the zygote that we know today. If he had known it, I have not a single scintilla of doubt in my mind that he would have said that this would, that ensoulment would have occurred at the single-celled stage. Right. By the way, St. Thomas Aquinas would have never agreed with abortion under any circumstances, at any stage, because St. Thomas Aquinas didn't think it was okay to abort uh, someone, even though the soul, which was intended for that person, was not yet ensouled in that human being, which is created in the image and likeness of God, mm -hmm. that, uh, just because ensoulment had not occurred. So this is a, a wow. you know, a false argument because you're you're pretending mm -hmm. uh, to say that St. Thomas Aquinas agreed with abortion prior to ensoulment or to his view of when ensoulment occurred, and he had no wow. such idea in mind. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas no doubt had in mind the very teaching of the Catholic Church, which goes back to the Didache, probably mm. around 88 AD. Right, hey, this absolutely. is like right at the beginning of the Catholic Church, and where, of course, in the Didache, abortion is per prohibited at all stages mm -hmm. of uh, human uh, of the uh, process of human development. So uh, all I can tell you is, right. uh, the, you know, the, the uh, you know, this is just a red here. Well, it's just that's a, what I want to ask you, you somebody because these because they, they are, but they're ones that are still are, are all over the internet and floating around, and people are are, are hiding uh, behind them. This person said, the "Catholic case for Roe has nothing to do with abortion and everything to do with the rights of non-Catholics." to exercise their consciences under a constitutional system meant for everyone. Goes on to say, under Dobbs, state governments will be in the business of denying abortions even to citizens who have no conscious objection to, uh, conscientious objection to abortion and to citizens who may regard abortion in some cases as a moral duty. Under Dobbs, conscience will be restrained. They go on to say, as a practicing Catholic, I find that that restraint and coercion of conscience objectionable. Goes on to say, he also has concerns that somehow that this will unsettle the constitutional system and impact peace and justice and harmony in the United States. So. This person that you're quoting is not only not speaking for the Catholic Church, he's not speaking for the uh, fathers of this country. Mm -hmm. I can tell you this right now, because what the fathers of this country wanted was liberty and justice for all. Liberty and justice for all. And this, uh, when you take a look at it, uh, the, the idea of ignoring the rights of the preborn, and everything that guy just wrote, mm -hmm. uh, whoever that uh, he is, mm -hmm. whatever he uh, just, what, what he just wrote, he never mentions once the rights of the preborn. Mm -hmm. Never mentions once even considering the rights of the preborn. Never mentions once justice for the preborn. Never mentions once once the possibility of the autonomy uh, of, of the preborn on the basis of the fact that he, he has an inalienable right to life, on the basis of the fact that he is clearly a new, unique human being. So this is like, this is, you know, it's the old idea of, you know, you, you just paste together a case, you ignore all of the other side of the question, and you just simply uh, start shooting bullets uh, from the vantage point of the rights of the 
the woman, and of course the preborn, voiceless person, just like the slavery arguments, identical to the slavery right. arguments, right? Uh, 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 Dred Scott right. versus uh, Sanford. Uh, this is uh, uh, the very same thing: is ignore the rights of the black person. The only thing that matters are the property rights of the white person. And so uh, he's Basically. claiming, trying what? to put this, the, the Catholic uh, mantle over this argument. I know, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is ridiculous. But ridiculous. it's one of those things Sorry. where the underlying of so many of the things that get said actually get reduced to this absurd situation. But people oh, yeah. never get back to it. But the idea, again, of saying, I mean, what's the difference? Say, well, that's so a sociopath who has no feelings about the fact of killing somebody uh, you know, yeah. he, he thinks it's okay, so I guess it's okay because he <laughs> thinks it's okay, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and of course it's the old idea of my conscience, uh, you know, can uh, uh, can make uh, law for, for uh, right. uh, uh, citizens outside of myself. Well, that's wrong. Your conscience can make uh, moral decisions for you, but uh, as they say, my uh, freedom, my right to swing my fist, ends where your nose, nose begins. begins right. And uh, so well, it used to the, be uh, uh, my country right or wrong. Now we're my conscience right or wrong. It appears to be yeah. the world we're, <laughs> we're in today, right? I mean, that's what it seems to be. Right. Now let me just right. hit a couple of quick things because, like I said, abortion is still yeah. legal. Uh, the, the other one that's floating around is women will be harmed by this decision. The fact is no, but no woman has been uh, prosecuted for abortions in 100 years, basically since 1922. The other one you keep kicking around is women will now be jailed for having miscarriages, which is ridiculous. Oh, ridiculous. I mean, it's a, uh, and the majority of women ridiculous. still live in states that have surgical abortions. I mean, you see these people running around in New York and California where there's absolutely no impact on them at all. In fact, they could probably expand their rights. Yeah, and of course, uh, they're thinking of using taxpayer dollars to bring in people from states where mm -hmm. abortion is illegal uh, to help them to get an abortion there. So, I mean, my thought, uh, you know, is uh, uh, what are you talking about here? By the way, if anyone, I don't think this uh, particular fellow has read mm -hmm. uh, the uh, decision himself because there's nothing in there about right. prosecuting women for well, this is this isn't even coming yeah. from that. This is just the kind of stuff that's out there oh. that's being oh, I uh, proffered as yeah. being why you yeah. should be worried. Another one is treatment for ectopic pregnancy is now is actually considered an abortion. Oh, uh, all I can say is these are just uh, absolute lies. Yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's straw men. They're just, they're just not only red straw herrings. Men, red they're, herrings. They're, really, they're, right. Yeah, they're false. They're absolutely right. false. 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 Exactly. Absolutely. So let me go to uh, a question here that ties into yeah. our, from one of our, our viewers. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, after the Supreme Court Dobbs decision, a commentator on television tried to justify the need for abortion. She discussed the burden her disabled 52-year-old brother had been placing on her family in his whole life. She mentioned other cases, how she thought disabled people were burdens on their families. Pray to God that the rest of her family does not feel as she does. I also pray that they, they didn't hear what she had to say. That's my comment. Do these people not yeah. realize most people will get old or suffer disabilities? What about when she becomes a burden, Judy? Yeah, uh, Judy, I think you've already answered your own question very, very well. And I think, uh, n number one, um, when we're uh, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, aborting somebody for basically 
uh, eugenic purposes. I mean, that's what you, you know, my son's going to have a disability. This is a Peter Singer kind of argument uh, for eugenics. Uh, we should just kill him up front so uh, he doesn't become a burden on the family or a burden on society. Mm -hmm. um, two quick things need to be noted. First thing is you can give those children up for uh, right. adoption. Yeah. Uh, you, you do not uh, need uh, to carry, uh, to, uh, to um, uh, you know, have the child yourself if you don't want to, uh, to raise that child. The second thing though is the people who do raise those children, yes, they have uh, more challenges in their life, uh, extrinsic challenges in their life. They have to accommodate to that child. They have to have the whole family accommodate to that child. Mm. However, all the good things that come out of raising that child and accommodating to that child actually produce all kinds of intangible benefits in that family. As many sacrifices as a family makes uh, to have that child there, there's no question about it. Those children bring a civility Absolutely. and a peace and a non-egocentricity and a sense of what really matters in life, a sense of uh, the pureness <coughs> of religious prayer and God, a sense of innocence. They bring into a family things that are, you know, really, truly intangible, deep, spiritual benefits, civilizing benefits, peace-filled benefits. But the most important is they turn up the whole, uh, you know, uh, expose the mm -hmm. myth Absolutely. of, uh, you know, ego-comparative identity that somehow I'll be happier if I'm a narcissist. You won't be happier as a narcissist. Get rid of the narcissism now. And when I was teaching at Georgetown uh, University many years ago, we used to have these retreats called agape retreats. How many of the kids, when we were talking about suffering and things on the retreat, came up and said, you know, I have a down child, a brother, I mean, or a down right. sister, or whatever, or I have a, you know, somebody who uh, had a challenge, right. a sibling who had a challenge in their lives, <clears throat> and they said, this is the most important thing in my life is that little guy, or right. this, the reason I'm here at Georgetown is because of that little guy, right. or whatever the case may be, but to hear these testimonies, that's when you really knew how these kids, <clears throat> we don't need a, a more perfect uh, world. We don't need a more narcissistic, ego-centrically right. uh, driven world, ego-comparatively mm -hmm. driven world. What we need is a world where we can compassionately take care of one another, even at a great self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. even when we do that, at the end of the day, we're happier. We're living for values that are much more commensurate with the Lord's values. We are living with values that have long-lasting effects that I believe, of course, in my faith, will perdure into eternity. We're living for a kind of compassion that's going to influence every other dimension of our lives, going to influence Absolutely. every dimension of the longevity, of the legacy that we leave. And so at the end of the day, I don't have to tell you. I mean, uh, I just think this is so wrong. Absolutely. You know, that the idea of, you know, let's kill, uh, you know, use abortion for eugenic purposes and to call that good? That's this right. This is That's, a good uh, purpose yeah. of abortion. Life not, it's the life not are Yeah, thick. the Nazis, what they call it, life not worthy yeah. of living. So with that yeah. being said, we're going to yeah. take a break.
Uh, much more ahead on this very powerful week on Father Spitzer's Universe. Stay with us. here the second half of father spitzer's universe our topic satan customizes his temptations from father's book christ versus satan in our daily lives and speaking of satan of course we're talking about uh, abortion and the dobbs decision uh, and some of the questions people had about that let's get to some more questions before we get to the book father next up Sure. Dear Father Spitzer, I've heard on EW10 that within a couple of years, most abortions will be medical abortions using an abortion pill. I fear the terrible consequences this may produce. In addition to possible physical side effects, what about the psychological effects of a woman who realizes she has committed her own abortion? Barbara. Uh, yeah, Barbara, I think you're, you're correct on both counts. Uh, the first thing is, is um, I'm not so sure that uh, most abortions will be uh, probably they will be, and, and it's already leaning in that direction of the number of chemical abortions, which has really shot up. Uh, but of course, that's more along the lines of first trimester. Uh, now, of course, um, uh, when you talk about second, third trimester, that's that's not going to be a, a medically uh, induced abortion. But the the one thing, though, that you point out is that, you know, is there such a thing as a post-abortion syndrome? And there is. Mm -hmm. And uh, a really terrific study has been done uh, on this. Um, and it's, uh, it's been published on the Cambridge uh, website there, but it was originally published for the British Journal of, of uh, Psychi Psychology, I think. It might have been psychiatry. Uh, but in any case, um, that, uh, that um, a particular uh, study was for three-quarters of a million women mm -hmm. and what it showed is that 81 percent of women who had abortions by comparison to women who did not uh, have an abortion by bringing it to term mm -hmm. or had not been uh, pregnant did not uh, or or not uh, in that situation that 81 percent of them had uh, much greater uh, psychiatric difficulties uh, going forward and then she uh, measured out um, uh, the um, uh, this is uh, Priscilla mm -hmm. uh, Coleman, I think it was. Um, anyway, uh, she uh, measured out the uh, um, the rate of suicidal ideation, uh, which I believe was about uh, 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 three to four times higher, uh, and then suicides themselves, which I believe were two times higher, and uh, uh, alcoholism, depression, anxiety. I believe alcoholism was two times higher, depression, anxiety. Uh, was 1.4 uh, times higher or something of that nature. So you look at that and is there a post-abortion syndrome? Absolutely. Right. I mean, abortion really, really seriously affects the, 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 the mental uh, framework of women who have those abortions. And you're mm -hmm. right to intimate, though this has not yet been studied, that uh, those who give themselves the abortion pill, in other words, kill the infant themselves, uh, by their own hand may have uh, even greater effects uh, of that post-abortion mm. syndrome. But it's very, very real. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't manifest itself until uh, about three, four years down the road. Mm -hmm. Then it really begins 
to to manifest itself. And of course, why right. why wouldn't it? I mean, you're you're basically killing a child, and deep down inside, even though you know, if you even if you've been totally propagandized by the right. culture, and you believe this is a clump of cells or something, deep down inside, you know it is not. It is your baby. You know that that baby, uh, you know, is really your child. Mm -hmm. It's not a clump of cells. Most women do not believe that inherently at all. And that's why 81% right. of them have significantly greater right. um, depression, anxiety, And that's why you uh, had that kind of that movement, the Silent No More movement that's come out over yeah. the last few years to kind of yeah. for women to be able to speak out about. The other thing I'm wondering mm -hmm. uh, in, in your experience in dealing, sometimes the level of vitriol you were alluding to earlier in the mainstream media and certain mm -hmm. places like that, you wonder how much of that are people who are having something in their own past being brought up in front of them and said that this is an issue because many people in mm -hmm. businesses and things uh, and we know from Hollywood stars, we, we read about it now retrospectively, how many of them had abortions and things and were forced to have mm -hmm. abortions to keep their careers going. You've got people dealing with that in the media and other places today where they made those mm -hmm. decisions to advance their career. Shouldn't be, have to be like that, but some people feel that that's the situation. And now you're really putting them on the spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would presume some of those people have that thought, mm -hmm. uh, no doubt about it. I, I also think that, um, uh, I, well, I think that some forces within the culture mm -hmm. are identifying, uh, uh, you know, women's autonomy and women's rights uh, so, you know, closely with having the right to kill your own child. And, and people aren't thinking that through. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not thinking through, well, really, do I want to stake, uh, you know, my belief in my rights and my identity and my freedom within the culture on the right to kill my own child? Uh, is, is this like what I want to be known for? Is that the great accomplishment of women? We can kill our own children now. That's the marker of civilization that we have gotten through this great movement. I would say it's a time to question this within the culture, that this really isn't at all, uh, you know, the great, uh, you know, flag post, you know, in the ground uh, to stand for the, you know, the great progress of, of women in the culture is, is you know, abortion, killing your own child mm -hmm. for the sake of, of, you know, just autonomous freedom and convenience. This, this is, uh, this is crazy, you know, uh, if that's progress, gosh, we're in trouble. So uh, I think it needs to be questioned. I think really um, that it, it would be good uh, to start, you know, looking at, um, you know, uh, whether or not we should reconstitute the idea of women's identity being associated again with motherhood. Not that mm -hmm. it's necessary, but, but that those who want to be mothers, uh, that this is a great uh, you know, I mean, a create a creator of a co-creator of life, as it were. What's wrong mm -hmm. with that? What's ignoble about that? Mm -hmm. You think having a, a high-powered job is more important? 
than being a co-creator of, of uh, an eternal being, uh, you know, in conjunction with God. You, you think that this great power and that this maternal care and love that's been given over to you to bring that life into the world and to help mm -hmm. raise and, 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 and bring that life up in a love that's going to inherit the fullness of eternity. You think that's an mm -hmm. ignoble identity by comparison with having some corporate job? Right. I mean, I I, I, I'm just, the, 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 the idea, you know, this, it just should be questioned. Right. I, I just think, you know, why, why not have some good caucuses right. of women, you know, who come together and just start saying, we need to re-examine what the uh, principles of identity that we want to stand for are. And we've got to stop just condemning motherhood right. out of hand. We, got, we have to stop condemning the idea that having children and raising children is somehow ignoble by comparison with advancing, you know, corporate profits somewhere. Right. I mean, I, I'm just uh, I, I'm stunned uh, by, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, the, the way that everything has moved to what I call level two identity principles. Mm. That if you have an ego comparative uh, principle uh, that's advanced, for example, you got a good job with some good money, that, that's much more important than a level three principle where you're actually contributing uh, to the well-being of an eternal uh, uh, being or many eternal beings in your children or that you're a, a level four principle, which is commensurate with doing something to advance the kingdom of God, right. which all mothers do by their very nature, not just in having and raising their children, but in being the mm -hmm. center of a family, uh, just like our own blessed right. mother right. is the center of the human uh, family that, that adheres to her son. So my, my, right. the one thought I have is, you gotta be kidding me. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's something wrong with advancing level two way, way above level three and level four values. And, and I just think it's time to have a, right. a real kind well, of you know, I was, you know, uh, look at well, you were what saying that. Well, well, you were saying I was thinking about an interview I seen I saw recently, and I forget whether it was a chaplain or a doctor, but it was somebody yeah. who was dealing with lots of men who were dying in war, in battle, and I forget what war it was, and and yeah. his point was, every one of them, the last word on their lips, virtually all the time, was mom. Yep, that's exactly right. In fact, in World War Two. I mean, the, uh, the nurses who flew those planes from Iwo Jima uh, back, you know, to uh, the, the, the uh, back bases uh, to get hospitalization and everything, who are they screaming for all the time? Their mothers. Right. Testimony after testimony after right. testimony. Uh, the one, you know, person that not only created them, but the one person who loved them so unconditionally that they felt that they could come to them uh, under any circumstances and the worst possible suffering. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, a, what a noble identity, what a noble right. dignity. I mean, why would you give it all up for some ego comparative identity? It's demonic. It's absolutely, absolutely. demonic. Right. You know, it's like selling my soul for a few hundred bucks. Right, exactly. And even people you see retrospectively who might have had, had difficulty uh, growing up or issues with their mother, the amazing. Uh, how much they miss them. Oh, I mean, the, the reversion back there. You can't, I mean, the love of a mother imprints itself so much on the psychology of, of, a, of a human being that, it, you know, it, it, the only thing that, that can come close is the actual creation of that human being uh, himself or herself. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, with, of course, the eternal soul that God bestows on them. So, I mean, uh, yeah, the love of the mother is that powerful, second only uh, to the creation event itself. Absolutely. It's so formative and so stabilizing, so positive, and, of course, it sustains that person throughout the rest of their lives. Well, it's obviously one of the ways that uh, Satan uh, uses yeah, some of his yeah. tactics. So let's go to your book, uh, <laughs> The Christ the, uh, the versus. Uh, there we go. As, as we segue into, uh, <clears throat> on page two eighteen, you talk about uh, different temptation. The first group, no religious or moral conversion. You say, the yeah. evil one's hope is to disguise the emptiness, all the things you were just talking about, alienation, loneliness, arising out of a life of depravity by providing fake consolations and quote-unquote ego boosts coming from sensuality, self-importance, and worldly status. He continues to do this as long as possible to secure the victim's allegiance. Oh, yeah, and that's, of course, the first line, uh, Satan's first line of defense, right? So I was trying to split um, human beings down into four groupings, mm -hmm. and the, the grouping that, of course, Satan likes best mm -hmm. is the grouping that has no defenses. Yeah. So they have no religion whatsoever. They really don't have any allegiance to morality beyond a strict utilitarian thing which says, better not do anything that'll get me in jail or get, you know, cause me to lose my job. Okay, so that's basically where they are. But in that group, science of, uh, Satan, of course, loves uh, to, to deal with that group of people mm -hmm. because they have no defenses whatsoever. All he has to do to keep them online, as it were, is just throw them another sensual temptation. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, send them another ego boost. If that doesn't work, tell them how important they are in the whole scheme of things and what, you know, uh, uh, schnooks everybody else is, you know, and, you know, in the, in the world. So the whole point, of course, the purpose, uh, you know, is to get this guy out of control and his ego, out of control and sensuality, and just to pull him or her along. Now, of course, the thing is, is the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is still trying to communicate with that person in the inner depths of their soul. And so the Holy Spirit is, you know, kind of stoking that person with emptiness, alienation, loneliness, you're missing something. Mm -hmm. There's something terribly missing. Being, you know, uh, egocentric, domineering, and essentialist is not going to, in the long run, uh, create anything of substance. You are nothing less than an empty being. You are nothing less than, an, you know, a narcissist, which, of course, you know, in your own rights, uh, you may feel like you have friends, but they're not your friends because of who you are. You're, you're friends with them because they will gain something. Something mm -hmm. by associating with you. And so the idea, uh, you know, at the end of the day is the devil's using all this f false logic, rationalization, but the Holy Spirit is making them feel what the reality is. You really have no substance. You really have no true friends. And above all, mm -hmm. you are groundless. You have no God. You have no anchor in Him. You have no eternity in Him. And you do, you're rejecting the very love which is the source of your life and goodness. So, you know, you're going to feel alienation, loneliness, emptiness, dread, and guilt. Of course, the, the evil spirit comes in and says, pay no attention to all that. Go to the psychiatrist, get a pill, have some booze, go to a movie, watch more television, hit the old computer, whatever it is, do whatever you can to just don't worry. This is going to pass away. Mm. This is going to fade away. And you're going to be good old, 
Happy Joe once again, mm -hmm. except for one little problem. There is, when you look at a person who has no God in their lives, right, American Psychiatric Association, I've quoted it many times, significant increases in depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, suicides, substance abuse, familial tensions, and antisocial aggressivity among those who are not religiously affiliated. Hello, you know, these people, they, see, they seem happy. They tell themselves they're happy. I couldn't be happier. Mm -hmm. I'm going down, I get to look at some more pornography and drink another couple of, you know, glasses of hooch, you know, and I'm a, the happiest guy in the world right now. Well, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Because if you basically you look at your life and your feelings over the long term, boy, you are a shipwreck waiting to happen. You're not that happy, right, and but, as a matter of fact, right. without God, you can't be right. honestly, and, and we ultimately see, And we see that, and you know, from the scientific yeah. method, we can see that. We can see yeah. these people who followed this kind of uh, Epicurean or whatever path of mm -hmm. uh, sensuality mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and what's been sold to us over the last 50 years, let's say, especially, mm -hmm. you know, 60s on kind mm -hmm. of thing, if it feels good, do it kind mm -hmm. of a thing. And we see the wreckage from it. Uh, you look at these people's lives and how they've been devastated, but is it that it's just hidden away from most people? They just don't want to look at it? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, I have to say this. I think a lot of people do feel those terrible things. I do think when they feel it, it's at night when they get up, you know, mm -hmm. at two o'clock in the morning and the, the emptiness is just pervasive in their lives and, and they don't know what to do with it. Unfortunately, a lot of people do medicate themselves with drugs and alcohol, and uh, I shouldn't even say this, but pornography too, right. and a bunch of other things that they do. They kind of try to forget by putting all these things, uh, you know, out there into their consciousness. But the problem is it drives them even more deeply mm. into the depression and the anxiety. And that's why the suicide levels uh, can get so high uh, is because at the end of the day, they really are, uh, you know, feeling mm -hmm. not just depressed and anxious anymore. Uh, what it's starting to do is move into the desperation and despair category. And, and of course, God's the only one who can anchor you. We can't pull ourselves out of our own despair because we our ultimacy is God. Our, our, yes, of course we have an eternal soul within us, mm -hmm. but our eternal soul is not ultimate in itself. It's not ultimate in meaning. It's not ultimate in being. It's not ultimate in truth. It's not ultimate in goodness. It's not ultimate in love. It doesn't have the ultimacy in it. It needs to be attached to God to find its true ultimate fulfillment and its true ultimate self. And because of that, because that's what we're made for, right? Uh, we, we were made for thou hast made us for thyself, said Augustine, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So, I mean, if that's really the case, uh, you know, all the narcissism, domination, vanity, and sensuality in the world, all of it is just going to be one big bag of despair. At the end of the day, it'll never get me 
to where I want. Oh, it can give me a lot of ego highs. It yeah. can give me a lot of sensuality boosts. But at the end of the day, it means nothing in the darkness. It means nothing in the emptiness. It means nothing in the, em in the meaninglessness and, and in the unanchoredness. It means nothing in the dread. It means nothing even in that sensitivity to the wow. evil, the darkness, the emptiness, the vapidness of those eyes of evil that somehow I can sort of feel in the back of my mind. And that's what drives a guy crazy. Mm -hmm. That's what drives a person who has no God, no ultimacy, mm -hmm. except, you know, in himself, crazy. And of course, even the atheistic existentialists talk about this, right? I, I mean, they even say, like mm -hmm. Sartre in, in Nausea uh, would say that, yeah, you know, life is uh, absolutely uh, absurd if there is mm -hmm. no God. But they just say, but there is no God, therefore life is absurd. And that's their ending conclusion. But there is a God, said Kierkegaard, rejoining to them. Of course there is a, a God. And we, we see Merceau, right, uh, uh, you know, in uh, um, L'Etranger, uh, in uh, The Stranger, Camus' uh, Stranger, and so forth and so yeah. on. We see the same character that, you know, they go around the plague, the fall, right, you know, all of, uh, of Camus' uh, characters are basically tragic at the end yeah. of the day. Uh, being condemned within themselves without the ultimacy in themselves that they yearn for. So, I mean, let's face facts. Uh, everybody recognizes if you don't have God, if you don't have religion, if you don't have the attachment uh, to something ultimate, not just mm -hmm. in the figment of your imagination, but in reality attached to the grace mm -hmm. of God through prayer and through religious practice, if you don't have it, yeah. you're going to just plain be more cosmically empty um, alienated, lonely, filled with dread and guilt. And at the end of the day, let's face it, you're going to be a real depressed, uh, you know, um, a little uh, uh, mouse right. there. And, and, uh, and at, the, in, at the end of the day, that's going to turn into despair. And it frequently does, obviously, because of the suicidal ideation. Right. And the difference uh, one has between what one projects to the world and what one knows is true inside them. I remember yeah. there's a, something similar to this, at least it may not be exactly right. But one time somebody said to Cary Grant, gee, I wish I was Cary Grant. And he said, I wish I was, too. <laughs> Precisely. Right. Yeah. The only thing we could do is, an in, is invent a facade for ourselves, you know, kind of the puppet on the chain in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, right, mm -hmm. where the, the puppet actor becomes uh, much, much larger than the actual character who's just this minuscule little thing and the, and the puppet's, you know, kind of on the chain controlling the whole business. So, I mean, anyway. Uh, um, right. It's, uh, uh, you know, that's the case. So in the last two minutes, uh, yeah. one of the things I wanted to touch on, uh, just a story, mm -hmm. uh, uh, victory for religious liberty. Uh, Justice Neil yeah. Gorsuch, writing for yeah. the majority, characterized Kennedy's behavior. This was the coach at Bremerton High School. Uh, yeah. A brief, quiet, personal religious observance, which was protected by the First Amendment. Gorsuch saw right through the bogus reasoning against this. The Constitution... And the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. Your thoughts in the yeah, last the, minute or so. Uh, sure. Well, of course, this is the debate between separation of church and state versus free exercise 
uh, of religion. And, and uh, you know, Sotomayor uh, certainly took the opposite uh, stand of Neil Gorsuch. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if you do not argue for um, the free speech rights and the religious liberty rights uh, of, uh, of a person over against uh, mere, uh, you know, uh, separation of church and state um, for all public institutions, uh, it, where, to the point where you're going to allow uh, the separation clause to dominate uh, free exercise of religion and free speech. At the end of the day, uh, Gorsuch is right. If you continue to do that, you will wind up mm -hmm. through every public institution that you have, you're going to wind up suppressing religious liberties, uh, contrary uh, to the framers of the Constitution and, and of course, to the uh, framers of the right. uh, um, First Amendments. Uh, of the Constitution, you're going to do this, um, you know, to such a great extent. And the reason you can do this is because a lot of people have to go to public school. It's mm -hmm. not like they, they have a choice in this country. If they can't afford uh, right. to go to a private uh, school or public school, uh, they're, they're constrained to go right. to the public school. And through the public school, though, uh, to, to actually right. say there can be no expression ever uh, of religion, not even as a free speech right uh, by yourself, uh, you know, uh, at, the, at the side can, of the uh, field. Right, figure out how to let the money follow the student, and then uh, yeah. we can have the right situation. I, I ask you, because well, we're out of time, to give a blessing uh, for the victory and also on this July 4th, uh, you know, coming up as well for us in the States. Absolutely. And may Almighty God uh, bless all of you. And may he allow you to share in the liberties and the religious freedom that you have. May he also allow you to, to celebrate in this culture of life that uh, has now been in some sense reinstated in this country, that all of these life rights and liberty rights may burgeon uh, through these decisions. And may uh, the Lord bless those people who have made those rights a possibility for us and bless all of us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Have a great July 4th. See you next time. And uh, all of you as well, uh, watching especially in the United States. And remember, Father Spitzer's books, videos available through our catalog. Next week's show, we're going to have some viewers' questions that we'll uh, get from our mailbag. And of course, speaking for the unborn is an EW10 bookmark, 32nd Pro-Life Rebuttals to Pro-Choice Arguments, perfect for this time by Dr. Stephen A. Christie. And in search of America's Catholic founder, St. Junipera, Sarah, Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, and uh, also Friday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and Monday, July 4th at 11 a.m. Eastern. A wonderful program. Check it out and check us out next time right here when we once more re-enter Father Spitzer's universe. We'll look for you then. Thanks.